Okay, so um, so uh, this is Minisode number ten, and we are, this is the second installment of our series about our ten favorite movies of all time. Not not the two of us got together and made a list of ten. Each of us uh, talk about our, our top ten. So uh, last episode we talked about my tenth favorite movie of all time, Buster Keaton's The General, and today. My co-host, Josh Long, who's here now. Josh. Hey there. How you doing? Yeah, all right. Okay. Uh, Josh is going to take the reins, everybody. And he's going to talk about his 10th favorite movie of all time. Of all time. What if I forgot what movie it was and I started talking about it and I was like, now, uh, Heat is about these cops. <laughs> um, it's not Heat. In the middle of a heat wave. That's why it's called that. <laughs> That's what I think it's about. I haven't seen it. So you have you not seen Heat? No, I have seen. It. Okay, all right. <laughs> I'm imagining the person who's picked a movie for their tenth favorite movie of all time. They've picked Heat. They've never seen it. Well, they've never seen anything. No. They, like they've seen no movies, and they've just. It's like it's like you know when you hear about people who who are rather ingenious about hiding the fact that they can't read. You right, know, right. like a person who's never seen a movie, but then kind of like bluffs his way into co-hosting a movie show <laughs> and just is just really good at reading what his co-host is about to say yeah that movie's really g- great yeah, right great right, it's yeah. a great movie i love it um but heat. uh so yeah yeah it's about uh two two uh uh Oh, criminals! Uh, Criminals, yeah, and 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 then cops, cops that are over with them. Yeah, that's Um, what's complex about it. Right, it's got both. You wouldn't think. You you wouldn't expect it. You certainly cops and robbers. Like right up until the moment you find out, you think it's probably one or the other, but it's really both. It's 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 really both. It really throws you, and then you're not totally sure what to do with it after. I was I was blown away. (laughs) I love this character. He's. (laughs) He's the best. Okay. So anyway, back to business. Your ten, Josh. Look, I, I've got a question for you. Okay, Tyler. What's your question, Josh? I was wondering. Yeah. What is your tenth favorite movie of all time? Well, you know, not only have you been wondering, but mm. the internet public has been wondering as well. And maybe we've got some. Uh, maybe we've got some guesses by this point. Wondering seems more active. I feel like maybe. Uh, Passively interested, racking their brains. Okay. I can see the guy, uh, the guy or girl, like in in bed at night, driving the car, everywhere they are. They're like, "What? What is that movie going to be? Is it going to be Heat? I don't know." Um, but it's I'm not. disappointed now that it's not Heat. <laughs> you know what? Scrap it. We're yeah. talking about Heat. All right. Uh, my my tenth favorite film of all time is Wes Anderson's Rushmore. Rushmore. Yes. I Disappointing. To- <laughs> uh, not for me. Okay. Uh, I I am a fan of Wes Anderson. If you're not, then well, 
I, I guess you don't have a soul. Uh, that's probably your problem. I don't know. Might want to go get one. It's like the Tin Man. You don't have a. If I only had a soul, and then you. I don't think he says soul. I believe I, no. I think heart. it's. I think it's the soul. The Tin okay. Man doesn't have a soul. I'm pretty sure that's what. And he. There's, there's a whole thing about James Brown in that. Isn't that? Am I thinking of the right movie? You're thinking of the Blues Brothers. The Blues. Oh, yeah. all right. The Tin Man of the Soul. The Tin Man of the he, Blue Brothers. Yeah, of the Blue Brothers. Yeah, <laughs> the, the Brothers right. Blue. Um, <laughs> no, so I, I am. I am a fan of Wes Anderson films, and I'm. Uh, this one is my favorite. Uh, meaning it is the only one that will appear on this list. So sorry, okay. everybody, if they were hoping for me to choose Royal Tenenbaums or something. Tyler still could. You never know. It could still be in there. It could be. But for me. Um, th- this is my favorite. I-, I enjoy all the films, but this is the one that, I don't know, stands out the most to me. Uh, I enjoy, uh, Matt- Max Fisher is maybe my favorite Wes Anderson character. Um, uh, so for, I'll go through a quick rundown of the plot for those who aren't, aren't familiar with it. Uh, Jason Schwartzman plays Max Fisher, who is a, uh, go-getter student at the, uh, at Rushmore Academy. Um, the problem being that he's not great at uh, grades. He he does more extracurriculars than any student ever has done, I think, at Rushmore. Mm-hmm. And we go through a great uh, uh, montage where we where we see all of them, and there's w- way too many. But because he spends all his time in that in those things, and because he wants to be, he loves being the leader of clubs. He loves creating clubs. He loves being that sort of. Uh, uh, that type of person that He's people rely on exactly um, that distracts him from his his duties in school, um, which run him into some problems. But uh, the film is mostly about uh, how he how he recognizes what he is and um, has to make some changes in his life, and a lot of it revolves around him falling in love with the beautiful Miss Cross played by Olivia Rip Williams, um, who comes to teach, I think she teaches kindergarten at the, uh, at, uh, Rushmore. And, uh, there's a bit of a rivalry also with Max and, uh, Bill Murray, Bill Murray's character. I forget. Mr. Bloom. Bloom. That's it. Herman Bloom. Um, and so that a lot of it centers around my Max's unlikely friendship with Herman. And then the, uh, the conflict, the strange, the bizarre love triangle, as uh, New Order would say, um, if uh, uh, between the between the three of them. Mm-hmm. So it's a film that I like quite a lot. Um, I think the the dialogue is fantastic, and the uh, the dialogue and sort of the design of the whole uh, of of the film's look are two things that I like in Wes Anderson films. And I feel like this is one where, um, where I enjoy it the most. So, uh, Tyler, what are your thoughts on, uh, on this fantastic film? So I would venture to say, I love it. Um, I think it's pretty great. Um, I've kind of gone back and forth with it as I have gone back and forth with Wes Anderson. Um, I am not, I would say I'm a fan insofar as I like a lot of his movies. Um, but I think there are people who like his... They like his movies, but they first like his choices. And so... And his general aesthetic. And so if a film features those, then they will like that movie. And they always will, because that's who he is as a filmmaker. He's, mm. I mean, 
he he is sort of like a modern day Tim Burton. You always know when you're watching a Wes Anderson film in a number of ways, not merely the look of it, but also the sound of it. He has a very specific way with, with dialogue that is sometimes some kind sometimes kind of turns me off uh, mm-hmm. of of him. Um, I think my favorite of his films is probably Royal Tenenbaums, Rushmore, a close second. Um, I do think it is interesting. Uh, Rushmore came out at just the right time in my life. I was 16. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was 16. Which Going was, on 17. Uh, I guess so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hate that song. So... Um, <laughs> Which I believe is the is the the age of Max Fisher. Would you say that's correct? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's sixteen, and uh, and I and here's the thing. I don't know what you were like in school, but I was. I could relate a lot to Max Fisher to the point that when I saw the film with my dad driving home, he's like, "You know, you're a lot like Max, like that character." <laughs> um, in that, like, I was. I, I probably. I think I. I'm not sure if I'd say I was wise beyond my years, but I had a demeanor that was older than what I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was in, you know, I was involved in like newspaper staff and, uh, and theater productions and, and TV video production. Like I had a lot of things going. The Knicks of beekeepers. It started the year after I left. Oh, that's it too bad. killed me. I, you know, I was, I started petition after petition. <laughs> How are you going to get revenge on your enemies? <laughs> And so, uh, so yeah, so I was, I did a lot of like extracurricular stuff that I loved and found very rewarding. I was not that it, it took me a while to kind of find my groove as far as doing the work that I, you know, doing actual schoolwork. Um, I don't think my grades were ever quite as bad as Max's, but uh, at the same time, I also only had like three or four extracurricular activities, whereas he had like 16. (laughs) Um, and so, uh, but also he clearly just, he he clearly matured intellectually, and, and I feel like this as well. Like I feel like I matured intellectually faster than maybe some of my friends, but emotionally, still right there. And I think that's what you have with this character. I think he's, I think he is by far the best Wes Anderson character because he is the perfect blend of what of what Wes Anderson, what his his brand is as far as uh, as far as how he creates characters. There's a melancholy there. There's an arrogance there. There's a, a certain way of speaking, and mm-hmm. there's a, a real a sense of longing and loneliness as well. Yeah, um, that I think like captures high school in a way that few other movies do. Yeah, Max is a uh, Max is that nerdy kid, and uh, I, that's one of the things that makes him endearing. I think is like he's he's the kid that like he wants to save Latin. <laughs> He's not, he's not cool. Like he's got a, he's got a thing about him and he's got people that like him, but he's, you know, he stands out from the world. He sticks out and, uh, yeah, he is kind of a, he is kind of a misfit. Yeah. Um, and it's a weird thing because like, like you said, he's kind of a, kind of a, kind of a nerdy kid. It's like, well, no, it's, what is it? It it reminds me of something that Milhouse said once on, uh, on the Simpsons. He's like, no, I'm not a nerd. Nerds are smart. (laughs) Not to imply that Max Fisher is not smart, but right. like nerds get good grades. You know, he's merely, I don't know what, like, yeah. and he's involved with a lot of clubs and stuff, but I would not go so far as say he is popular. Yeah. It's almost like he started the clubs 
in lieu of popularity or maybe to make up for not being popular. Maybe. And he has like his followers because of that. But, yeah. uh, but it, I don't know. Something in it still doesn't give him exactly what he wants. And I think in Mrs. Bloom, he, or not Mrs. Bloom, excuse me, Mrs. Uh, uh, Miss Cross. Cross, that's what it is. Yeah. I said it earlier on, then I forgot it. Uh, he finds something that he feels like he's missing in his life. And, and there is a weird thing there where he, he doesn't have a his his mother has has passed away mm-hmm. um so he's kind of looking to fill both a romantic uh void in his life and the void of a mother mm-hmm. so i think he kind of finds in her both of those things but doesn't exactly know what to do with it yeah um uh but his uh his audacity is is fun to watch throughout the film the audacity of thinking that surely he and miss cross could uh, could wind up together, or right. uh, surely he could build an aquarium on the uh, on the baseball diamond without telling the headmaster of the school yeah. or the coach or a lot of people who ought to be involved. Yeah. Um. Uh. So yeah, just how far he goes with a lot of these things and the the uh, theater productions, the overly elaborate theater productions that he he puts on, are are a blast. Um, yeah, and it's and you know there's something that I I. In, in thinking about, you know, kind of mentally preparing for this, this minisode, um, I uh, was thinking about the character of Max Fisher, and I, and I realized something that I think I always sort of knew but never really actively thought about, which was the fact that, like, so I would say that Max's best friends in the movie are Herman Bloom, played by Bill Murray, and a character named, uh, oh, of course, immediately, uh, Dirk Calloway, Dirk, yeah. played by uh, Mason Gamble, who I remember as being Dennis the Menace in mm-hmm. the uh, Chris Columbus film. Uh, and so Dirk is, I'm going to say, three years younger, maybe even younger than that. Yeah. Maybe he's like 11 or 12. Uh, and then, of course, Mr. Bloom is, you know, 30 years older. Yeah. Uh, probably older than that. And so Max doesn't hang out with anybody his age. Uh, he seems to have, it seems to be a way to insulate himself. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm friends with somebody younger, significantly younger, then they will probably look up to me and they probably won't question me that right. much. Somebody older, they will just be fascinated at the notion that I enjoy hanging out with people much older than myself and can carry on conversations with them and that sort of thing. Yeah. So I can manipulate them as well through this, uh, by presenting myself in a certain way. Yeah. Um, whereas when it's somebody your own age, you know, they, they know what it's like to be you, even if they don't, uh, even if you guys are very different, they know right. emotionally where you are and where you've been. Well, and they're like him too, in that they're many people that age are not looking to give to a relationship so much as they are to get something from it. Right. And so, you know, being that he is that kind of without realizing that he's that. And that's part of the film is his transformation where in, in ways it's a coming of age story where he kind of realizes that and is able to give of himself. And, uh, you know, that's good. But initially in the film, he, you know, he keeps that distance because he likes to have, he wants to get something from relationships. Yeah. You know, and, and so here's, here's uh, something that, so I'll talk briefly about Wes Anderson in general. We've got another few minutes. Um, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of Bottle Rocket um, because, 
I have a hard time watching characters that are bumbling. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, like characters that think they're smart but are but are bumbling, and that we're supposed to sympathize with. <laughs> like after a while, it's just like, ah, oh, this is exhausting. Like I just <laughs> I, I don't know what to do here. Um, but I think with Rushmore and then Royal Tenenbaums, he really hit a stride there, mm-hmm. uh, where it is a wonderful mixture of style and substance, and that the style seems to uh, branch out from the characters and who they are and the type of world that they choose to inhabit. Whereas I think as he's, as he's continued on and, and become more himself and is mm-hmm. get, and is given more control over his films. I think the style and the little intricacies that he focuses on have gotten bigger and bigger. Um, you and know, to overwhelm the rest of it. Yeah. Like I think the one he did after, Royal Tenenbaums, you know, the life aquatic. And that's, that's the thing in, in even movies of his that I don't really like that much. There are great moments yeah, and great set pieces. Um, and there's, there's greatness in life aquatic, but like, I feel like he's, he got so focused on like the art direction and musical choices that like he, he failed to, I feel like he failed to focus in on like the, the, the human story. He like kind of left it all to Bill Murray to, to kind of carry, pick up the slack on that. And then Darjeeling Limited, I thought was a step in the right direction. It's still stylized, but very, still very much a focus on character and relationship. Fantastic Mr. Fox, I think, was great because since it is claymation, pardon me, stop motion animation, like that gives him the opportunity for the style to be the substance. Yeah, it's a departure from from his uh, from every in one way. It's a departure from everything that's normal with him, obviously, because it's animated, but. Uh, then he gets to kind of see that world, his world in uh, in animation. Yeah, which is like, cool. He has the ultimate control, and is like he he had been like agonizing to create a world of his own in general, and so with that, he finally was able to do it in earnest. Yeah. Uh, and then Moonrise Kingdom, I was not. Uh, there's moments about it that I love, but I was not nearly as much of a fan of it as most people. Mm. And I, I I feel like I, I enjoy all of them. I. I don't know exactly what my order would be now because having seen moonrise kingdom only once and recently it's hard to kind of uh stack it up against the others although there's a lot of performances i know that i like and a lot of moments i like but uh, uh so, some people i know do not like his style so much because it is a very distinct style and if you don't like the look of it then it could be alienating um which makes sense because there there is something in it that uh, put, puts you at a distance from reality it, uh, with the exception of maybe bottle rocket. Cause that seems to, it, it doesn't have as strong an art of art direction. And right. It doesn't of, really have the budget. Yeah, exactly. And kind of seems to appear more in the real world, but everyone since then, I think has a very, has that very tailored look. Um, and because of that kind of separates you from your reality a little bit. And the, the performances are usually very, it, he clearly directs people to to do very understated performances sometimes to the point where it, it seems like they're emotionless and i don't think they are emotionless i think it's just it's just very stripped down in a lot of ways which i kind of like and it's it's it can be hit or miss that that style like well, some a actors lot of can it, do it and some can't a lot of it put it puts a lot in the hands of an actor and yeah. if you if if you find somebody like a bill murray who can do yeah. deadpan 
yeah. be- better than almost anybody with the exception of course of Buster Keaton <laughs> um, like then you've really locked into something there I think Owen Wilson's pretty good at it too yeah I um, think I think uh, Jeff Goldblum is great with yeah. it too which is I, I love to see him in, in Life Aquatic yeah but um, I don't know that sort of that approach overall and kind of a theatrical approach at all everything is very uh it's like stripped down and heightened at the same time sort of yeah and rushmore is one that clearly is is clearly has a theatrical base um especially because we have max fisher doing these big theater projects the kind of uh break points for the film are different months and each new month of the film starts out with a curtain that opens and closes yeah uh, and then, the, then there is a final curtain uh, with and what looks like a curtain a call. curtain call which is something that he, i think he kind of likes to do in his films he's got yeah. sort of the same thing in royal tenenbaums when they're all leaving the the uh, yeah. funeral and then uh on life aquatic as they all come down the steps and on onto the boat he likes to sort of do this thing where we present everyone at the end and in Rushmore, that's that's the one where I, I love the way they do it the most. Uh, that that's one of those scenes that I always say, like if I could have directed one scene of film and then nothing ever again, that that would be one of the ones that I would have wished I could have done because I just love the mm-hmm. the way the way everything com- comes together. The all of the story has built to this to this moment, and so you kind of know everything that's behind it and everything that has connected all these characters and the the slow motion the you know slow dolly backwards the music and then how we kind of reveal the entire cast dancing together in this joyous moment and the yeah. and the curtain closes I, I really love that scene yeah he he does always give uh his characters not merely a chance at redemption but he gives them he allows them redemption and it's usually i'd say it's usually earned mm-hmm. um instead of merely imposed yeah uh it's you know it's and and so like it's why i will sometimes get choked up at the end of his movies because it winds up being a celebration of people who have finally started forgiving and loving and and embracing one another and and that sort of thing and so um so those oh sorry and and Rushmore has that I mean you've seen you know over the course of the film you see very bitter rivalries yeah uh, with you know certainly between the with that with that love triangle but mm-hmm. then also like you know Max and uh, the principal you know and just mm-hmm. this weird uh, this weird relationship with the two of them and then like the bully that uh, Max is always poking Magnus. fun at and yeah. Yeah. And so, like, you get all of this, and then it's all it all washes away, uh, precisely because people are willing to recognize their own flaws and willing to ask for for forgiveness and that yeah. sort of thing. So, so, and so, those sort of themes paired with a just a visual style that I really enjoy, maybe partially because it's very clearly French New Wave influenced, which I enjoy. Um, those things together are kind of one of the reasons I find this one of my favorite films. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. With between this and and Royal Tenenbaums, he really did like a nice one-two punch. Yeah. Um, where like just he gets. I'm not. I'm not sure if I'd say he gets everything right, but like a lot of the elements that he would return to, uh, like ensemble mm-hmm. and and some of the thematic elements that we've talked about, like yeah. um, he he seems to at that point really juggle them well uh mm-hmm. he seems to work well with owen wilson as a, as a co-writer yeah and I, I i almost wish they would go work together again i'd, I'd really yeah. like to see that that happen i think a lot of people would 
Yeah. You know, it's because, uh, let's see, he wrote Life Aquatic with Noah Baumbach, right? Yes. I don't remember who his co-writer was for Darjeeling Limited. I... Well, it might have been Jason Schwartzbaum now that I think about it. Jason Schwartzman. Sorry, sorry, Schwartzman. I think it might have been, yeah. I think it might have been the two of them and Roman Coppola. Yeah, and then Roman Coppola, he co-wrote Moonrise Kingdom with. Yeah. I don't remember Fantastic Mr. Fox. But, uh, and that was was adapted from from That might have been Noah Baumbach as well. Perhaps, yeah. Um, Yeah, we don't have it in front of us, but... But yeah, I think I think uh, he works best with Owen Wilson. I'm not sure how, like, why that is, but yeah. they just seem to they just seem to be able to have everything in the proper proportions. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I prefer Royal Tenenbaums to Rushmore, but frankly, like, in a year, it might be flip flopped. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, I go back and forth on both of them. But uh, but yeah, okay. So, all right, good. Sorry, I'm looking at the time, and uh, we're coming in right around the time that I want. So, Sounds um, pretty many. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So, my 10th favorite movie of all time, The General. Josh's favorite, 10th uh, favorite movie of all time is Rushmore. Stay tuned. Two weeks from now, we'll talk about my ninth favorite movie of all time. What's so, it going to be? Uh, well, I don't know. You, I think you I, do know. I do know. You do actually. know. Yeah. I'm I'm the one that does. So if anyone wants to start like an office pool, I think now's the time. Absolutely, get on it. Yeah, I, I'm all for people uh, gambling on my Christian podcast. It's all good fun, Tyler. Exactly. No question <laughs> about it. But uh, okay. So uh, thank you, uh, Josh, for being here. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye. Uh, 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 uh,